Hello and welcome to Crime Theories of the Record, the podcast series where I talk about my interpretation of crime theories. This is your host, Karen. Hello everyone. Today I'll discuss our third conflict theorist, Dr. Richard Queenie, for our last episode this season. As mentioned in past episodes and early on in conflict theory, during the 1960s, many criminologists had turned away from the search for the causes of crime. As we have learned, control theory focuses on the sources of conformity under the assumption that crime and delinquency should be expected when there is a decline in the holding power of the conformity influences. Labeling theory treated crime as a matter of definition, with the source of the definition being the labels. The early work of the conflict theorists explored the criminalization process with a focus on factors that might explain the behavior of the authorities rather than that of the offenders. Still, criminological conflict theory did have something to say about the causes of offenders' behavior. Turk had referred to cultural and social norms. Chambliss had considered crime a rational reaction to exploitation. And Queenie, as I will discuss, described the politics of crime as involving the use of the only available and appropriate means to express specific thoughts and bring about certain changes. The question of causality, however, became more critical in the criminological conflict theory that began to appear with the shift in the social climate at the end of the 1960s and the beginning of the 1970s. Although they mentioned possible sources of offenders' behavior occasionally, the earlier conflict theorists had concentrated on how the traditional search for causes of criminal and delinquent behavior had deflected attention away from the fact that crime resulted from the criminalization of certain behavior by the powerful. Having made the point so powerfully, pun intended, criminological conflict theory then turned more attention to the sources of the behavior that was being criminalized. But before I jump into discussing Queenie, I would like to remind everyone that I'm not an expert in every aspect of my field, that I probably butchered the last name, but I have researched the topic. Just like Turk and Chambliss, Richard Queenie also completed graduate work in 1962, entering criminology at a time when the ferment of the 1960s was already producing a markedly different social atmosphere. Queenie was to become the most prolific of the criminological conflict theorists and the most controversial, revising his theoretical perspective time after time, which I totally love. Now, beginning with a position similar in many ways to that of Turk and Chambliss, he was to alter it almost immediately, only to develop a Marxist perspective at about the same time as Chambliss and still move in another direction. In other words, Boy had to move through various epistemologies and ontologies in the social sciences to keep his work informed by the latest developments of science, which most likely included a lot of reading and analyzing without accounting for life's crazy character development episodes. Off the record, due to this being our last episode of the season until further notice or early August, I feel it is only fair to revisit Queenie and his role in founding peacemaking criminology in the future. In the same year that saw the publication of Turk's 1969 Criminality and Legal Order and Chambliss's 1969 Crime and the Legal Process, Queenie 1969 set forth his position in the introduction to an edited volume on the sociology of law called Crime and Justice in Society. At this point, 
Queenie's perspective was similar to that of Turk in some ways and similar to that of Chambliss in others. Like Chambliss, Queenie focused on the sociology of conflicting interests. But he preferred to begin with the sociological jurisprudence of Pound, 1942, rather than with the so-called legal realist, arguing that it was Pound who had first made the call for the study of law in action, as distinguished from the study of law in the books. But unlike Pound, who had seen law as operating for the good of society as a whole, Queenie, like Turk, and also like Dahrendorf, took a position based on the coercion model of society as opposed to in the integrative. Queenie 1969 defined law as the creation and interpretation of specialized rules in a political organized society. He then asserted that a political organized society is based on an interest structure, that this structure is characterized by unequal distribution of power and by conflict, and that law is formulated and administered within the interest structure. Referring to the politicality of law, Queenie argued that whenever a law is created or interpreted, the values of some are necessarily assured and the values of others are either ignored or negated. In this view, the law was seen as part of the interest structure of society, with changes in the law reflecting changes in the interest structure and changing with changes in that structure. I know that sounded like a tongue twister. But one year later, Queenie 1970 published The Problem of Crime and the Social Reality of Crime, two volumes in which he presented somewhat different versions of criminological conflict theory. Like both Turk and Chambliss, Queenie was impressed by the relativity of crime. In The Problem of Crime, Queenie 1970 began by taking the position, like Turk, that crime must be considered in relative terms as a legal status that is assigned to the behaviors and persons by authorized others in society. With the criminal defined as a person who is assigned the status of a criminal based on the official judgment that their conduct constitutes a crime. Like both Turk and Chambliss, Queenie also argued that social differentiation and social change tended to produce complex societies with different and often conflicting conduct norms prevailing in different segments. His critique of criminal justice statistics was similar to those of Turk and Chambliss. He asserted that the crucial question is why societies and their agencies report, manufacture, or produce the volume of crime they do, and his analysis of American society as a criminogenic social system. By the policality of crime, Quinney meant that the actions of the criminally defined are not so much the result of inadequate socialization and personality problems as they are conscientious actions taken against something. The only appropriate means for expressing certain thoughts and feelings and the only possibilities for bringing about social changes. However, in his discussion of philosophical principles underlying his approach, Queenie diverged considerably from Turk and Chambliss. This distinct difference was to set him apart. Queenie 1970 pointed out that some criminologists had expressed concern over the positivist conception of cause, outlined deeper issues beneath this philosophical debate, and concluded that under the impact of the philosophical implications of modern physics, most physical scientists have abandoned the idea that science is a copy of reality. This amounted to a total rejection of positivism, drawing on the European tradition of philosophical idealism. He took the position that accordingly to state the extreme, 
There is no reality beyond man's conception of it. Reality is a state of mind. And he argued that there is no reason to believe in the objective existence of anything. As Queenie saw it, the problem was not understanding some reality that stood apart from the observer but formulating helpful ideas regarding one's purpose. This might sound impossible or even ridiculous to criminologists untrained in philosophy. Nevertheless, philosophical idealism, the theory that the world is a product of the mind, has a long and distinguished history going back to Plato and beyond. Off the record, if you are not familiar with Plato's philosophical work, The Republic, or some of the most popular books for political scientists, it could be a good time to read Machiavelli's The Prince or Hobbes literary work Levitian, as well as Jean-Jacques Rousseau The Social Contract, to understand further some of the concepts that have been covered since the inception of this learning journey. Shifting our focus back to Queenie, following the lead of the social constructionist in pointing out that social reality in general, as well as deviance or crime in particular, is a matter of changing perceptions and interpretations. Many variations on some form of philosophical idealism were blowing in the wind during the 1960s from the political commitment to achieving significant social change through moral persuasion and nonviolence that Martin Luther King Jr. had learned from Gandhi to the far-out activists of the so-called countercultural GPs, which may be taken as an example of the extremes to which this approach can be taken. In some ways, the 1960s seemed to be a time when it appeared possible to change things by redefining them by developing a new consciousness. Queenie was no JP, but he clearly was influenced by the pervasive sense of how the taken-for-granted aspects of social life were a matter of collective definitions with which people went along mainly without thinking. His position was laid out in greater detail in The Social Reality of Crime. In that work, Queenie 1970 developed an analysis of the social reality of crime, hence the title, drawing from Berger and Lookman 1966, Schutz 1962, and others. Whatever physical reality may be, this theorist had argued that social reality consisted of the meaningful world of everyday life that was tied together by the fact that human behavior is intentional has meaning for the actors, is goal-oriented, and takes place with an awareness of the consequences, in such a way that the individual share a collective goal-oriented of shared meanings and understandings. For Queenie, the theoretical problem lies in exploring and explaining the phenomenological processes by which this collective meaning is developed and sustained. The theory outlined in the social reality of crime consists of six propositions. Queenie's theory began with the general definition of crime, which was to be regarded as a definition of human conduct that authorized agents create in a political organized society. This was followed by the second proposition that criminal definitions describe behaviors that conflict with the interests of segments of society that have the power to shape public policy. Here, Queenie indicated his indebtedness to both Bolt and Turk, thus he observed that the probability of powerful segments of society formulating criminal definitions becomes greater with an increase in the conflict of interest between the segments of society. And he insisted that the history of law reflected changes in the interest structure of society. Queenie's 1970 third proposition focused on the law in action, asserting that criminal definitions are applied by the segments of society.
society that have the power to shape the enforcement and administration of criminal law. He argued the probability that criminal definitions will be applied is influenced by such community and organizational factors as community expectations of law enforcement and administration and the visibility and public reporting of offenses and the occupational organization, ideology, and actions of the legal agents to whom the authority to enforce criminal law is delegated. In a fourth proposition dealing with the sources of the behavior resulting in the criminal label, he asserted that behavior patterns are structured in segmentally organized society concerning criminal definitions, and within this context, persons engage in actions that have relative probabilities of being defined as criminal, taking the position that it is not the quality of the behavior, but rather the action was taken against it that make it criminal. Queenie went on to say that persons in the segments of society whose behavior patterns are not represented in formulating and applying criminal definitions are more likely to act in ways that will be defined as criminal than those in the segments that formulate and apply criminal definitions. Fifth, Queenie argued further that the definitions of crime developed by certain social segments had to be successfully diffused within the overall society before the general accepted social reality could be altered. Conceptions of crime are constructed and diffused in the segments of society by various means of communication. His final proposition summarized the entire theoretical framework. The social reality of crime is constructed by the formulation and application of criminal definitions. The development of behavior patterns related to criminal definitions and the construction of criminal conceptions. Four years later, Queenie 1974 published Criminal Justice in America and Critique of the Legal Order, two volumes that reflected a significant shift to a Marxist approach. He now criticized not only positivism, but also the sort of social constructionism and phenomenology that he had used so effectively four years earlier, charging the positivists have regarded law as a natural phenomenon. As social constructionists have regarded it relativistically as one of men's conveniences, and even the phenomenologists, though examining underlying assumptions, have done little to provide or promote an alternative existence. Like Marx, Queenie seemed to have concluded that the point was not simply to understand social life as a collective construction, but also to change it. This shift in thinking was influenced by his reading of the work of the Frankfurt School of German social theorists and his interpretation of the backlash, particularly the war on crime, as he had developed during the Johnson and Nixon administrations. When Shambliss and Queenie were calling for further change, the backlash appeared exemplified initially by the crackdown on crime in this Johnson administration and then by the election of Nixon. This political figure had been rejected twice by the voters during the early 1960s only to be elected president by the end of the decade. While criminologists like Shambliss and Queenie were crying for more reform, the voters were electing a president who promised the opposite. It also is apparent that Queenie himself believed, as did many people around him, that the foundations of American life had to be changed if people were to regain a more authentic existence. Queenie's 1974 sixth Marxist 
propositions read as follow. 1. American society is based on an advanced capitalist economy. 2. The state is organized to serve the interests of the dominant economic class, the capitalist ruling class. 3. Criminal law is an instrument of the state and ruling class to maintain and perpetuate the existing social and economic order. 4. Crime control in capitalist society is accomplished through a variety of institutions and agencies established and administered by a governmental elite representing ruling class interests for the purpose of establishing domestic order. 5. The contradictions of advanced capitalism, the disjunction between existence and essence, require that the subordinate classes remain oppressed by whatever means necessary, primarily through a coercion and violence of the legal system. And six, only with the collapse of capitalist society and the creation of a new society based on socialist principles will there be a solution to the crime problem. Of the record, if you haven't noticed the influence of Marx, this line of argument follows Engels in asserting that the institution of the political state arises only at a point in the development of society when a private property appears and then becomes concentrated in the hands of a few and that the law is the ultimate means by which the state secures the interests of the ruling class. Developing the argument contained in the social reality of crime in a Marxist direction, Queenie, 1974, maintained that the clever manipulations of the ruling class were obscured by an ideology serving to justify the system and that manipulating the minds of the people is capitalism, most subtle means of control. He stressed that the sort of socialism advocated was not that of a centralized state bureaucracy such as existed in the then Soviet Union and some Eastern European societies, but rather a democratic socialism based on equality and giving everyone a chance to participate in control over their own life. Queenie's thought continued to evolve in reaction to criticisms of Marxist criminology and newer contributions to Marxist theory. Three years later, he published Class, State, and Crime, 1977, a volume in which he criticized recent theories of justice, arguing that they all were rooted in an implicit acceptance of the current economic order. He laid great stress on the Marxist argument that capitalism generates a surplus population of unemployed workers. The general problem of the capitalist state was seen as providing support for the growth of capitalism while trying to manage the resulting problems through mechanisms such as the welfare state and the criminal justice system. According to Queenie, some members of the surplus population are not co-opted by mechanisms such as the welfare system, especially because capitalism finds it's challenging to fund these mechanisms adequately. They may adapt to their plight by turning to crime. Queenie observed, nearly all crimes among the working class in capitalist society are actually a means of survival, an attempt to exist in a society where survival is not assured by other collective means. At the same time, Queenie moved from a position that suggested that the state was in the hands of a powerful and all-seeing elite to one emphasizing a dialect concept of social class. Queenie 1977 asserted that a theory which posits an opposition between an elite or a ruling class and the masses or the people 
fails to provide an adequate understanding of the forces of capitalist society. His new emphasis was closer to a structural Marxism that saw political outcomes as natural result of the dynamics of the economic system, than to an instrumental Marxism that saw political strings being pulled by members of a small elite looking out for themselves. Crime was considered in Engels' terms as a primitive form of insurrection, a response to deprivation and oppression, but one that in itself is not a satisfactory form of politics. Although there still were signs of the older conception of an epochality of crime, crime was now clearly considered an unsatisfactory form of politics. It was not sufficiently rational response to oppression unless it succeeded in developing a revolutionary conscientiousness to represent and inform rebellion against capitalist conditions. Of the record, Queenie's work, Class, State, and Crime, also presented a typology of crime, including crimes of domination and crimes of accommodation and resistance. Crimes of domination were said to include crimes of control, aka police brutality, crimes of the government, like the Watergate-style offenses, and crimes of the economic domination, such as white-collar crime or organized crime, and crimes of accommodation and resistance were said to include predatory crimes, such as theft, and personal crimes, such as homicide, which were provoked by the conditions of capitalism. And crimes of resistance, such as terrorism, involved the political struggle against the state. Overall, in Queenie's theoretical terms, there was a constant tension between the realms of the subjective and the objective, whereas the social reality of crime had taken a subjectively oriented phenomenological or constructionist view of the world. Critique of the legal order had thrown Queenie into a Marxist tradition of strict materialism, which not only explicitly rejected philosophical idealism, but even regarded it as the enemy. As mentioned earlier, Queenie's life is best understood as an academic and personal journey marked by extensive reading and careful study, self-examination and actualization and engagement with the world. By thinking in new ways, by deconstructing ideologies, justifying structures of power, by ambitioning fresh ways of reducing suffering among the poor and defenseless, Queenie believed that it becomes possible to transform oneself and the social order in the pursuit of greater justice. His work thus represents both a self-exploration as he endeavored to grow individually and through his publications an attempt to inspire criminologists and others to create a more humane society. To wrap this up, it is important to note that the question of causality, however, became more critical in the criminological conflict theory that began to appear with the shift in the social climate at the end of the 1960s and the beginning of the 1970s. Although they mentioned possible sources of offenders' behavior occasionally, the earlier conflicts theorists had concentrated on how the traditional search for causes of criminal and delinquent behavior had deflected attention away from the fact that crime resulted from the criminalization of certain behavior by the powerful. Having made the point so powerfully, criminological conflict theory then turned more attention to the sources of the behavior that was being criminalized. Now, Watson to my Sherlock, I know that I have discussed conflict theory extensively, but this being our last episode of the season, let's take a moment to consider the consequences of conflict theory. The period of social turmoil that gave rise to contemporary criminological 
conflict theory was followed by a period of exhaustion and a social backlash of conservatism, as if people were trying to pretend that the 1960s had not happened and were determined to recapture the sense of tranquility of the complacent 1950s. Some conflict perspectives could be integrated into contemporary criminological theory and applied to social policy, but much was rejected. What was accepted and rejected depended on whether the formulations called for further social reform in the tradition of some earlier theories or demanded social revolution. Turk's conflict approach had been highly formalized and had treated conflict patterns as essential inevitable, so it was not to be expected that his theoretical perspective could lead to specific alterations in social policy. It did, however, have a considerable impact within criminology and the more general field of deviant behavior studies. The concept of criminal as a status assigned by the authorities as a result of a process working itself out through conflict probabilities was especially appealing to those with a formal sociological orientation who were interested in the conflict perspective but were put off by the ideological fervor of many Marxists. Criminological conflict theory has had significant consequences in terms of subsequent theorizing and rethinking within mainstream criminology, but has had a relatively little direct impact on social policy except perhaps for its metamorphosis in the form of peacemaking criminology. As mentioned at the beginning of our episode, I will discuss this next season so stay tuned thank you for listening and choosing this podcast this episode is brought to you by anchor please rate review and subscribe on spotify or whatever platform you're listening from and don't forget to tune in for the next episode off the record if you need help visualizing these theories go check us up on instagram at ct.offtherecord.com